Now I know this is probably a mix of a rant, but also some helpful information. And the first thing which has been massive within my life is learning about. And the second thing that climbing really taught me, and this is something that I miss massively and has really changed my perspective on life a lot as well, is... And so the message from this is that you shouldn't be defined purely by your labels. You can do whatever you want to do in life if you... Hello everybody and you are listening to the Rob Talks podcast. This is episode five and as ever we are in for an absolute banger of an episode. There's going to be so many insights that I've had from the past week in this episode and so I hope you enjoy and really gain some value from the thoughts that I've had this week. The main topics that we're going to be going over in this episode are firstly around catastrophizing and the toxicity of catastrophizing things within your life. What climbing has taught me as I saw a climbing speaker this week and so it really unearthed a lot of the learnings that I've taken from climbing and why I need to take up climbing again. And the last theme, which will be all to do with labels, which shall be all revealed what I mean by labels towards the end of the podcast episode. But let's get straight into it. Let's get into the nitty gritty of it all. And the first theme topic for today is all about catastrophizing. Now, what is catastrophizing? Catastrophizing is essentially where you have taken a situation and you have taken it to the extreme. You know those times when you have those what-if moments, and your what-if moment is the most extreme what-if, which is usually something along the lines of you're going to die, or a crime is going to be committed, something very extreme. That's what I would call catastrophizing. And annoyingly, I have seen a lot of this throughout my week on LinkedIn, which annoyed me quite a bit, in all honesty, but also I've seen it within my own life. I've had a few episodes this week of where my self-talk, ironically, that I spoke about recently in one of the podcast episodes, wasn't positive and it was in fact quite negative. And so consequently, I started to catastrophize. I started to think of the worst case scenario, which it's good sometimes to think about, but when you catastrophize, a lot of the time it then brings in anxious feelings. It brings in this sense of having no control and it makes you, in some cases, practically nearly have a panic attack. And so we just need to not catastrophize. And that comes down massively to our self-talk being positive, but also that when we are considering what is the worst situation, that we realize that we don't have control of that. That is always the thing that I come back to with situations like that. I always realize that it's one of those things that I don't have control of. If I did have control of it, then I wouldn't be catastrophizing, would I? And in terms of the stuff that I've seen on LinkedIn, now this is a kind of different form of catastrophizing in terms of that it's people's opinions realistically being quite negative. So I'll give you an example. There was a post this week on LinkedIn, which was all to do with 3D printing houses, which I think is a fabulous technology. And so very optimistically, I commented about the technology on the post and said that I was very happy to see where it was going. 
and consequently I was bombarded with a multitude of comments going, look at this, this is not ethical, or look at this, this is the wrong thing to do. And it was really people just catastrophizing from my comment of that this is what 3D printing houses is like in reality and this is the only way to look at it. And they really were catastrophizing and it annoyed me quite a lot because they weren't understanding my point of view. If I had commented about that I think that this is the solution here and now, we should be 3D printing all houses, then I would entirely understand if someone goes, Robert, what are you on about? But the key thing was, was that I was focusing upon why the technology is just so impressive. Because it is. It's pretty cool that we can 3D print houses now. And the key thing is, is that it isn't the answer right now. That's why the majority of houses, the majority of the places that we're living in are not 3D printed, right? It's not at the place where it needs to be yet. And it just annoyed me because the amount of catastrophizing just, it led to a negative mindset. The optimistic mindset when you look at a post like that is that's amazing. That's a technology that we could harness in the future to make people's lives better and more affordable housing potentially using sustainable materials, using renewable energy. There's so much potential. That's the optimistic mindset from it. The more pessimistic and more, I shall say, negative mindset from it was that people were sending me links to videos, they were sending me articles to do with look at what ex-president has said about renewables and stuff like that, which it really wasn't needed because they weren't understanding the post. They weren't understanding my comment. And so sometimes we need to think about that a little bit more before we just jump on something and attack it in a way. Now I know this is probably a mix of a rant but also some helpful information but the key thing is is not to catastrophize because if you catastrophize where are we going to go? If everybody catastrophizes the situation with 3D printing houses for example then no one would push the technology forward. No one would be bothered because no one likes it. No one believes in it because everyone is catastrophizing the if we 3D print a house, that it's not going to work. That it's not going to work in today's society and all these different problems. And so honestly, I think catastrophizing can be in fact quite toxic and takes away from having an optimistic mindset. Now, don't get me wrong. We have to have a realistic mindset with some things sometimes. And I think the realistic mindset with that is that we can't do 3D printing houses on a global scale right now with where the technology is. But the optimistic mindset that I have, and I truly believe in it, is that this is a technology that will work going forward. And in case if anybody is wondering why I have any kind of credentials to speak on this, I'm an industrial designer. This is partially my area. I know I don't study architecture per se, but I know a lot about 3D printing, and I know that the technology is going somewhere. And so, it's fantastic to see things like that. And the key message from that is, is that it's not to catastrophize. Take things slowly and don't just jump to the most extreme conclusion. 
And there's kind of a subtopic within this topic of catastrophizing, which is something to do with what I learnt about this week, which is all to do with thinking fast and thinking slow. It's a fantastic book that I, the, the title um, has gone away from my head, but what it spoke about was essentially that we have to realize that sometimes we think really fast and make a decision really fast, and sometimes we think slowly and we make a decision slowly. And a lot of the time, when we think fast, we engage the part of our brain which is really doing something impulsive. So it's not exactly a reaction per se, but we are reacting quite quickly in terms of that if someone says something, we instantly have an answer that we go to and go no or yes, and we push on that. Whilst if we allow for more opportunities to think slowly about things, then we're much more likely to come up with better and more probable solutions and solutions that will be better in the long run, just allowing yourself to think for longer. And this is the same with catastrophizing. If you think too fast and you react to what is happening around you or you react to your self-talk, then it's most likely going to be quite toxic and will come out quite negatively in terms of the outcome. But if you take a longer amount of time to think slowly, to process it all, to take a step outside of the box, as I like to call it, then you'll allow for time to ask why, to ask what if, but in a sensible and controlled manner with your thoughts. And so going forward, I think we need to stray away from catastrophizing. There's a lot of stuff, of course, that is happening within the climate change, COP26, the whole media that is going around that. And I think there are things like that where we have to be realistic. And so a form of catastrophizing is allowed. But the key thing is not to then go, ah, the planet is heating up, we're all going to die and kind of all the crazy catastrophizing thoughts that you may have around climate change and then just cry about it. The key thing is to do something about it. And I think that's another point with catastrophizing of that if it is something that you have control of, then you have to do something about it. You can't just sit there and be weeping and be angry and do nothing. And that is also allowed, just to note. You're allowed to be upset, you're allowed to be angry around things like climate change, around the death of a loved one, around events that happen. But the key thing is, is how are you gonna think about this? And what are you going to do next? And how are you going to make sure that catastrophizing doesn't happen later on in your life? Because it will negatively hurt your mindset. It will negatively hurt your mental health, your mental well-being. And so we have to be careful with catastrophizing and realistically have a mindset that is both optimistic and realistic, but not negative. And that is more of my opinion, but the fact and the truth of it all is, is that catastrophizing will not help in the majority of circumstances. And so I know that was a bit of a rant, a little bit of a 
kind of pitching to you around catastrophizing, but I truly think that if you think about that in your own life, that it will make sense in terms of realizing where you catastrophize and where you maybe go over the top with things. And so we just have to take things slowly. And the key thing is to think slowly. The outcome, trust me, will be so much better. And the second topic that I wanted to speak about in this episode is in fact all about climbing. So climbing, I'm sure that there'll be some people listening who absolutely love climbing, mainly because I have quite a few friends who do. I have a few friends who don't, who I know straight off the top of my head. And climbing has taught me so much. I used to be such an avid climber when I was younger in my younger teenage years. I used to go out every single weekend with my dad and with my brother. There would be arguments, there would be falling outs, but there would also be gems of moments of where you would climb to the top of this climb and you'd really work together and you'd found that crack in the rock where the piece of protection would just fit perfectly. There were so many moments of climbing that were just satisfying and amazing to experience. But what did I learn from climbing? And I think there's a few fundamental things that I learned. And the first thing which has been massive within my life is learning about trust. Any climber who is out there will know when you don't trust your B layer. So when you go rope climbing, you always have the person who is climbing up the wall, and then you have the person who is at the bottom, or sometimes sat at the top, depending where you are, but most of the time they're at the bottom, and they are controlling the rope for you. And so consequently, you have to trust that person quite a lot, because if they let go of the rope, you will fall and go splat. <laughs> but if they control the rope too tightly, you may not be able to move much and you may be restricted in terms of what you want to do. And so there is so much trust in your partner, your belay partner, because they literally have your life in their hands, which can be so, so scary. And trust me, I was so scared of my brother or my dad having my life in my hands at points. But you know what the key thing was? Trust is all to do with building a relationship. So many times we think about how can we build trust within our offices? How can we build trust within our companies? And all it is, is this relationship that happens over time with experience of where you just have to build little bits of trust. The easiest way to explain it in climbing is in terms of that you go bouldering, which means you have no ropes, you're just climbing on rock and someone holds a mat underneath. If I fall and I realize that my brother has put the mat in the correct place, I trust him that little bit. And then we go rope climbing and he, he allows me to abseil back down nice and easily. My trust builds. And slowly but surely you build a block on block on block on block. And that builds trust. Trust isn't something that you can just throw upon somebody. I've had that before of where I've thought that if I just go, yeah, yeah, I trust somebody, I have the mindset that I just trust this person, then that will be fine. But you don't. You trust them on the surface, but you don't trust them deep down. And so you have to be able to build that relationship, build the experiences, those moments of trust that you have. 
and that will help to build trust within your teams at work that will help to build trust within your friendships within your romantic relationships within your family relationships within all of your relationships within life we have to build trust through building experience and really making that relationship between the two parties feel as though it is collaborative and that you then eventually hit a point of where you don't even have to say anything anymore. There's a point in climbing of where a lot of the time when you start, you have to say a few certain phrases to make sure that you trust with your belay partner that everything is correct. Eventually in climbing, you can hit a point of where all you have to do is shake the rope a certain amount of times and that will communicate enough that you know that you are safe or that you know it is now time to come down. And I honestly think that is amazing. And we should be able to reach that point with relationships that we have in our lives. And in all honesty, it can take years. It took years even for me within climbing. So to imagine how long it would take for other types of relationships in this world, then it can take a long time. But in the end, it is worth it. And the second thing that climbing really taught me, and this is something that I miss massively and has really changed my perspective on life a lot as well, is this focus on dealing with fear. Because naturally climbing is quite a scary sport. It's one of those sports of where you are naturally in an environment where you don't always have control. A lot of the time you do, but there are lots of points where you don't have control, where you are high up. And so instantly your brain starts to catastrophize as I spoke about earlier. And so we have to realize of how can we overcome that fear? And it's through a multitude of different ways. One rule that I like to apply, which actually applies a lot in productivity, there's a rule in productivity that is called the five minute rule. And essentially this is, is where if you spend five minutes doing something, then you're much more likely to then continue doing that thing and do it for another half an hour, for an hour, whatever it may be. But if you don't start, you will never get the task done. This is the same in climbing. If you never make those first few moves, or if you're abseiling down, if you don't make those first few moves over the edge to realize that the system, that the ropes that are attached to you are holding you, then you're never going to do the rest of the climb. You're never going to do the rest of the abseil. And there is also something with fear that a lot of people always attribute to courageousness or confidence. And a lot of the time it is having that little bit of self-confidence. It only has to be a little bit of that you go, I can do this. Because ultimately as humans, we can all do this. The fact of the matter with climbing is there are so many people over hundreds of years that have done climbing, that have been successful, that have done X, Y, and Z. And so how hard is it for you to, for example, abseil off a bridge or climb up a 10 meter rock face? You can do it. It is possible. I'll tell you the most scared that I have ever been in my kind of climbing endeavors was when I went multi-pitch climbing once. 
and I was abseiling off a hundred meter sea cliff. And this was one of those moments where you can't hear the people below. All you can hear are seagulls and birds just cawing and cawing and being incredibly annoying, really. And you just have to back yourself. And you know what I backed? It was the fact that I had trust in my partners. It was the fact that I knew that as soon as I got over the edge that I could do the rest of the 100 meters. And it was that little bit of self-confidence to go, I can do this. I've abseiled off much smaller rock faces. I have never abseiled off anything like this. But purely by the fact that I know from experience that I can abseil, I know I'm in control of this moment. And I have that little bit of confidence to go, Rob, you're going to make it. You're going to make it to the bottom and you're going to have a great day climbing. That's how I overcame that fear. Quite an extreme amount of fear, but I overcame it. And trust me, if you ever want to have a conversation about climbing, please do, please send me a message because I absolutely love talking about climbing and I honestly miss it. So when I get the chance, I'm definitely going to go and do some more climbing. I miss it and I know there'll be some people listening here who are climbing buddies, so uh, hit me up and we'll see what we can do. But the final topic for this Rob Talks podcast, episode five, is all about labels. Now, this is something that I am incredibly passionate about, and I will tell you why. By trade, I am seen as an industrial designer. That's me. That's Robert McKinnett. If you were to define me by anything, a lot of the time people define you by what you do. They define you by what is at the top of your LinkedIn profile, what is at the top of your CV. And in all honesty, it says industrial designer. But then consequently, people look at that and see industrial designer and instantly think, hmm, industrial designer. So that means that you can design me this. You can design me this water bowl, right, yeah, yeah. And then next you can design me this phone, not a very good one, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and then you can design this mouse for me. There's all these different things that you could do for me because you're an industrial designer. That's what you do, right? You focus on form, you focus on functionality, you focus on user experience. And instantly, all just from one label, there's been all of these assumptions of the person, of who I am, what I specialize in, what I do. And I'll be honest, in this case, I can do those things, but that label does not define me. There's a reason why I'm able to, for example, at Unilever at the moment, speak to people who are in different areas, such as sustainability and chemistry and engineering, because I understand little bits of their topics, because I'm not just an industrial designer. I'm so much more than just your plain old industrial designer who'll do some sketches for you, make some 3D CAD data, make a nice fluffy render and send it off. There is so much more to me. And this is what I mean by labels. You personally do not have to be defined by your labels. Even as a chief executive, a CEO of a company, you do not need to be defined by that title. You can happily be the CEO that also likes to go on the product line every so often and check out the products and do things here and there. 
You can also be the industrial designer that likes to go and speak to the CEO when he's free and find out more about what's the business strategy, what's the vision for the next five years and be entrepreneurial. So if you want to know what labels I concentrate towards, it's a multitude of labels. Yes, I'm an industrial designer and I know how to do that work, but I'm also an entrepreneur. I'm an innovator, I'm an inventor, I make new things. I'm a public speaker, as hopefully you can tell from this podcast and from my YouTube channel. And I'm a change maker because I'm wanting to change the world and I'm wanting to change people's lives for the better. And I have done that through social enterprises. I have done that through my business work. So I am so much more than that label that you see on a CV or on LinkedIn. I'm so much more than just the plain old industrial designer. And that's what I think the key thing is from this, of that we don't have to be defined by our industry label. We don't have to be defined by purely what people see. There's a matter of fact that labels don't just mean your career. They also mean how you look how you're perceived. Instantly, let's be realistic about this and honest about this. I am not really that ginger in this light, but I am ginger. And so instantly that gets some form of judgment. I'm white. That will get a lot of judgment in terms of that he must be privileged. He must have a lot of money. I'm wearing not bad shirts. <laughs> this is where I'm going to get a load of comments going, Rob, no, your shirt's not good. But this shirt, I would say, is in kind of the casual to smart area. And instantly I'll be judged for that. I'll be judged because of my eye colour, because of my nose, my mouth, my, my teeth, my ears, everything, my forehead, let's be obvious about it, my birthmark, the spots that I may have on my face. You're going to get judged about it all. And so labels, in a way, go further than just your career. It goes further than it's Rob the industrial designer. It's Rob the industrial designer who is ginger, who is white, who has a birthmark on the top of his forehead, who has a pretty big forehead, not the greatest hairline. It's the birthmark's fault. <laughs> um, who has blue eyes, who has a kind of crooked nose, who has weird lips, I don't know. Whatever it is that you put as a label to me in terms of how I look or in terms of what my career is, I'm happy to sit here and say, I don't care. I do not care. And you know why? Because I will not define myself to those labels purely. Yes, in terms of looks, this is how I look and I'm happy with it. I'm positive in terms of my body, in terms of how I look, my facial features, and I accept the fact that I have a larger than normal forehead. I accept the fact that I have a birthmark that seems to never want to go away, but I love it. It's what makes me, me. And so there are a mixture of labels in terms of the way that you look. That's you, that's your personality. You don't need to look like anybody else. That's your label that is you. That is Robert McKinnon. And then in terms of labels within industry, within your career, within other aspects of life, we don't have to be defined to those. 
yes, I'm going to finish university with an industrial design and technology BA, hopefully with a decent grade. But that doesn't define me because I can go to a design consultancy and go, look, I've got this. But they're also going to ask, what else do you do? What else do you do, Rob? What are you interested in? The truth is, is that like everyone, I have multiple passions. I have multiple things that I do on the side. I have a multitude of different labels that can be attributed to me. And so the message from this is that you shouldn't be defined purely by your labels. You can do whatever you want to do in life if you put hard work in, if you educate yourself, if you learn more about it, if you speak to the right people, you can do whatever you want to do, whatever your dream is, you can go after that. Whatever area you're just wanting to explore, whatever thing it is in life, you can do it. You don't have to be defined by the labels of your industry. You don't have to be defined necessarily by the labels of your color of skin, by your hair color, by how you look. Because in all honesty, being a white male, the truth is I'm much more likely to be more privileged than others. And I understand that. And so if that comes down to judgment that I can't see, but I can perceive, if that makes sense, then I will use my platform to empower others. Because it isn't fair. It's the same with industry. I shouldn't be defined by my label as just as an industrial designer. Because there is so much more that I can do. And I'm sure that you, and yes, I'm looking at you, and I'm speaking to you. There is so much more that you can do and so many more things that you want to do. So don't be defined by your labels of industry. Do not be defined by what people perceive as you. You are you at the end of the day. You are authentically you. So be authentically you. Do the things that you want to do. Chase the dreams that you want to chase. Explore the new things that you haven't tried before. Break the stereotype. Break the label. Because at the end of the day, there are so many careers, so many things that happen in life of where we shouldn't just follow what other people have done. We can break our own path. We can do our own thing. We can be the pioneers. We can be the people that do the impossible. We can be the people that break our labels. And honestly, I think that in terms of career, that is the only way that you're going to be able to find your passion is to just break your label because you don't have to just be this banker you don't have to be this graphic designer you don't just have to be this person that industry has defined you as you can be whatever you want to be if you put your mind to it and yes it requires a lot of hard work in some cases but I know you can do it so don't let labels define you and if needs be Make your own path. I believe in you. I am visual proof that you can 
not listen to your labels and go and do something different. And yes, people will judge you. Yes, there'll be haters. There will be people along the way that don't back you. But that's okay. Because we're paving a new way. I'm following my passions. I'm following what makes me feel fulfilled. And so those labels do not need to define me. And they shouldn't need to define you. I think that is a great place to leave the podcast. And if there is anything that you would like to speak to me about, then please hit me up on Instagram. It's just Robert McKinnon. And please send me any messages on LinkedIn, whatever it is. If you'd like to talk about one of these topics further, or all of them, in fact, then please just send me a DM. Just hit me up and let's get talking. Let's get chatting. And if you would like to be on the podcast to talk about your journey in life, to talk about how you look after your mental health, your mental well-being, whatever it is, we can have a conversation and we'll put it out there for the people to listen, to hear your learnings. And please let me know as well. This has been the Rob Talks podcast, episode five. We're still going, baby. And I will see all of you guys next Monday. Have a great week and stay true to you. Be awesome and don't let labels define you. You have just been listening to the Rob Talks podcast. Thank you so much for listening and please make sure to subscribe and give me a follow on YouTube, Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, or even LinkedIn. And I will speak with you soon. Stay safe and have a great week.